Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy Uncle Peter. He will say words at you. Look, I, I, I don't necessarily want to see Chris Hemsworth naked. I, I mean, yes, I do. But that's not the goal of what I'm about to say. And that might be what it kind of sounds like. I just, when I was watching the last Avengers movie, last Avengers movie is an endgame. It was the one with Thanos in it where he f- snaps his fingers in a jazzy way, which was quite a while ago. And the advertisements for the next movie have come out. So if you listen to this recording after the next movie's come out, it might be a little more confusing. But this is Avengers Infinity War. In the Avengers movie... Thor, at one point, has to hold open a large portal of sorts in a ring. And the power, the full power of a sun is going to shoot through that ring so they can melt down some magic rock and make his new axe, which is going to substitute the hammer that he lost in Thor Ragnarok. They make it very clear that the full power of the sun could kill Thor. Thor will die from this, or at least it's very possible that Thor will die from this. So he stands and he's pushing with both his arms and his legs. He's outstretched. He's in sort of like a a star formation. He's a beautiful man with uh, all his clothes on. And then the power of the sun burns through and it goes past his body and and it melts the axe, the magic rock that makes the axe that will now be the conduit for his full power as Thor, god of lightning and thunder. Why doesn't the sun burn off his clothes? And so this is a problem. Clothes and superheroes are a continual issue for me. Because in this situation, has Thor somehow gotten clothes that are more powerful than the axe they are currently creating? They're melting the metal to make the axe. Now, it can't destroy the skin on his body, apparently, even despite it being that hot. But it also doesn't burn off his clothes that he's wearing. Now, the clothes that he's wearing, maybe they're Asgardian clothes, so they're strong. But because of the implication of the power of the sun melting the metal to make the axe, it's supposed to be stronger than most things in the universe. His clothes come out perfectly fine. Are his clothes somehow already made from a stronger material? And then would it not make more sense to make the axe from the material that his clothes are already made out of? It seems like making a club, or if you could make a sharp edge, I don't know, let's just say this is silk or something, but if you could make some kind of silk, ooh, you could make just like piano wire, like a wire. So would it not be better, and he could garrot people on the battlefield? I guess that would be harder to focus lightning through, but I mean, that's, that's a secondary issue. What I'm saying is, 
they have a situation where they've created this incredibly powerful thing. Clearly they have something right in front of them that is in a way more powerful. He could maybe make a shield out of the clothes he's wearing and then nothing could actually get through that shield. Like the power of a sun couldn't rip his clothes. So how could the power of anything else that they're running up against in the Avengers movie go through that shield? He could give that shield to Captain America. He doesn't seem to have a shield anymore. He was using one of those borrowed shields from the Wakanda guys. That's not actually as cool as the Captain America shield. That should be in there. So I understand the reality is the ratings board couldn't allow Thor to get naked and have all his clothes burned off because his skin should survive. I'm allowing that because he's supposed to be Asgardian. He's a god. He's super powerful. Okay, he can do a lot of things. Like he can breathe in space. Or he doesn't breathe at all. I don't know how that works. But for all my questions about superheroes, this always comes up. Superheroes' clothes. How do the clothes survive the trials and tribulations that the heroes put them through? Like the Flash, when he runs, when he runs as fast as he can, all his clothes should probably just tear or burn off. Uh, Hulk's stretchy pants have been kind of an ongoing joke for years because he has to wear some kind of spandex. That actually is just the answer. He has to be start wearing spandex all the time underneath his clothes. And even then, probably couldn't expand enough. But at least he could, you know, scientifically create something because he knows he's going to get bigger. So at least he has a sense of what will happen. Thor didn't wake up in the morning that morning and say, I'm going to go stand in front of a sun, the full power of a sun. I better put on my, my 150 SPF clothes on today. He's just like, ah, oh, he's got to go out tomorrow. And so I better get... So off he goes in his Thor underoos. Superman's clothes sort of make sense because they come from the planet. Now, that does not imply that his clothes are super because he gets his power from the yellow sun. So does his clothing get its power to survive what he does through the yellow sun as well? Someone needs to take a moment and really talk about superheroes' clothing and how or why they survive what the superheroes do. So Cora question, why does my son think he owns his computer? He bought it, but it is in my house, therefore it is mine. How can I make him understand this? Now this is an interesting question because to me the level of ignorance that they're actually displaying demonstrates they're probably sincere. This, I don't believe that this question is trolling. I think this is a real person who really thinks this way. But I would bet the application of what they think, the logic they're using, doesn't extend outside of other people. So when they bring their things into someone's house, so I'm talking about the primary person here, the person asking the question, who believes that if something is in her house, it is therefore hers. We would need, honestly, a bit of definition to better understand what she's talking about. But what she's saying is that something resides within her home because it is her home it is actually her property. It doesn't matter if someone else paid for that thing. So her concept of ownership actually comes down to location. But I'm betting if she thinks if she brings something of hers into someone else's house, that it isn't theirs. Now, she might say that things she brings into someone else's house might be temporary because she's bringing her clothes into someone else's house as she wears them and she intends to leave later. But that's the loophole. So for the, the child, the son, his intent, I would assume, is to not stay in her house forever. When he's old enough, he plans to leave. But based on her logic, once she puts her money in the bank, that money is no longer her money. It is now the bank's money, and they don't really have to return it to her because now that the money is in the bank, it is not her money anymore anyways. Now, I would bet 
she disagrees with that. And I would also bet there are a lot of things she's paid for in her life that should she put somewhere else, she would still consider her property. So the, the thing I, I'm actually getting stuck on is that her sense of ownership probably only extends to her. So everything in her house is hers. Everything that is hers outside of her house is probably also hers. Because that's the kind of logic someone in this state of mind uses. What she hasn't counted on is that the son's sense of ownership probably has been learned from her. So when he went out and bought a computer, he probably took it upon himself to say, like, she says that everything in her house is hers because she paid for it. I would bet that was lesson number one. And so when he went out and bought something, he had learned from her that if he pays for it himself, it's now his thing. She doesn't deserve access to it without his permission. But now there's something in her house that she, has, she doesn't have access to, and that's the thing she doesn't like. So the thing she's having trouble convincing her son of is that the rules she has taught him and created within her household only apply to her. Because that's a very difficult thing to say. Because when you come and say something that's basically hypocritical and say like, look, everything in my house is mine. Everything you bring into my house is mine. Everything I buy is mine. But if we go somewhere else and we have my stuff somewhere else, it's still my stuff. But that doesn't apply to you. That's an illogical statement. It's an illogical premise and therefore doesn't tend to hold water with anyone. So my guess is that this woman's logic is actually mutable because it would depend on the situation. So any situation where she can claim ownership, she will, and then the rules will change depending on where she is or where she goes so that she retains ownership over as much stuff as possible. But my guess overall is that the son has learned his sense of ownership from her and her behavior in the past. And I would guess probably from her statements. If you wanna use your computer, if you wanna do your thing, you buy your own computer. That is a very parent thing to say. It's something they say without thinking because they never actually think that the child is gonna have the gumption or the wherewithal to go actually buy the thing they're talking about. My parents, basically said when you get your own apartment you can do whatever you want so when you live it's my house my rules that's a pretty common statement it's a really dumb thing to say because what you're saying is when you live on your own you can make your own bad decisions and i no longer have any input so i moved out of my parents house when i was about 17 years old that's actually quite early but it was because i was frustrated living under the rules of my parents when I moved out and I lived by myself, then I could do whatever I want. So if my parents didn't like my behavior, well, I'm not living in your house anymore. And you have made very clear, you've made several statements several times very clearly that if I'm not living under your house, you no longer have any influence over my decisions. I do not have to take your opinion, or your thoughts into account anymore. And so this is a big mistake on parents' part because they perceive that the control they have when kids live in their house is extending infinitely. But what you actually need to do is treat the kids like an individual because they are going to leave and you want them to actually retain a sense of what you've taught them is right and wrong when they are no longer under your immediate control. So this woman clearly is slightly insane because the idea that she's forced her kid to go out and buy, pay for his own computer and then wants to take ownership over that computer, that would not hold up in a court of law. I mean, if we're going to go down to actually like the most basics, he paid for it, it's his item, he owns it. If she actually wants to abuse that, I'm sure she would actually lose that in a court case. The fact that it's in her house 
has less immediacy, has less importance than the overactual payment ownership of the item. But what she's failed to do is actually have an understanding of a broader sense of the system that she's created. And actually, my guess here is that she's actually done it to herself. So all I can really say is I hope that kid moves out of her house soon and then gives her zero access to any of his stuff or has her come over to his place and then as soon as she puts her bag down, he just picks it up and starts doing whatever he wants with it. He takes her wallet out, starts taking her money because that's in his house, so it's now his property. So you'll hear people talk about uh, the youth of today and responsibility and how they, they aren't responsible. And I've actually found that, that is just as true for young people of today as it is for middle-aged people of today as it is for basically every person in the world. Some people are responsible, some people are not. Actually, actually age is not really relevant to the question. Now, we do find that people, uh, different generations kind of communicate differently and things like that, and their values sort of change, but that doesn't mean they are irresponsible. But I train people who generally are a significant number of years younger than me. So I have come across this issue because we do meet the entitled people who do not understand the idea of taking responsibility for themselves. And it is something I think you grow into. Certainly myself at a young age was not a responsible young man. I didn't do all the things I should do. I didn't do them well. I didn't do things properly because uh, it just was not a big concern for me in my life. But there was a statement I made once and it was you are responsible for everything that happens in your classroom. Now, the weird thing was the trainee in this situation decided that this would be the point to argue. So the fact that you were responsible for the kids in the, in the room, in the classroom, in, in the situation itself uh, seemed to be a point of contention for them because the idea of them being responsible for the results of someone else's actions were really alien to them. And this is what happens. People run into one experience like this and they extrapolate that to the whole generation. I don't do that. This was one guy. And in that group, it was one person, I think, out of six. So it's not, in my mind, representational of the whole group at that age. I think it was just this one person. But he tried to argue and I said, so like, let's a kid does something and I go, well, that's your fault. You're responsible for the kids. And like, well, the kid hits another kid. I'm like, well, you're responsible. You should have stopped the kids from doing that. Their behavior is your responsibility. I think the original thing I was talking about was if there is an earthquake, because Japan being earthquake prone, the first instinct I have is to go to the area with kids and try to help get the kids in order. I don't worry so much about adults. These aren't my kids, they're not kids that I'm even responsible for, but my natural instinct as an adult who is in this kind of situation is that I should help take care of the kids first. Thus the argument continues for a while. And then we get into something that I found really interesting and something I would like to experiment with if I could, and it's when they start creating the what if scenarios. And they get into more and more statistically impossible situations in the hopes of getting to the point where I will say, Oh, no, well, you're not responsible for that. So they have an out. So if they can get the situation to this extreme, they are no longer responsible. So if something goes wrong, they actually have to push it so it gets to that extreme. And that is, for my side, the one thing I don't want to have happen. So it's really quite easy as a counter argument. I just have to stand in my position and say, no, you are responsible for everything that happens. And everything they come up with just has to be countered with Oh, well, you just make sure that doesn't happen. Well, it's your job to make sure that things go well. Well, it's your job to make sure that everything is in order. It's your responsibility. So I think the short version is when it comes to an argument like that, the person 
creating the what if statements never is in a situation where they can win because what is actually happening is when they are trying harder and harder to create fictitious situations. So again, I, we can change this to another situation where someone gets into what if scenarios. I now feel like I've already won the argument because if they get to a scenario where my original statement is no longer true, I can start to point out the stretch they had to make to get to that new statement. So if you're in an argument and you get into extreme what if scenarios, what you actually need to do is realize you've probably lost this argument and should back out gracefully or try to find another way out because you're basically done. Uh, if you'd like to challenge this, you can create some what if scenarios and send them to me. The thing is we need an initial premise or statement for me to make, which I haven't done. Uh, you should be responsible for others. But if you'd like to create some what if scenarios, you can feel free to email them to me. You can email velocipodcast at gmail.com or at Velocipeter on Twitter. A woman on Reddit. You know, if I'm bringing up a Reddit story, it's already somehow offended me in some way. A woman on Reddit did a very wonderful thing by donating her terminal son's heart to another human being so that they could survive. And an interesting thing that came up around the same time is that in the UK is now no longer opt-in. You don't have to go and say, I'm an organ donor. You actually have to go and opt out. So now you are by default an organ donor. And if you don't want to give your organs for some reason, you actually have to go and tell the government and I guess have that put on your license. When I was a kid, when you got your driver's license, you could put whether or not you were an organ donor on it and it would be a little sticker that was added to your driver's license. In the UK now, that's just gonna be standard. But this woman made a post and I think it drove me a little crazy because of the dichotomy, because she's done this thing where she's released her son's heart to save someone else's life. But then in the post, this is what she wrote. In Canada, the recipient of the organ is kept secret. And in her post, she wrote, looking, I'm looking for my son's heart and please help me find my greatest gift. Now, for me, the first thing I noticed was the constant use. This is actually about a full paragraph long. I've only given you the most relevant bits. But the thing I noticed was the constant use of the possessive term, the reference to herself, my son's heart and my greatest gift. And she wants to find the person who got the, her kid's heart. And it doesn't say really what she wants to do with this person. We can be altruistic and assume that she just wants to hear her son's heartbeat in another body. That's a very sweet thing. But I think there's something she's missing. Why is the recipient of the organ kept secret? And I think it's because of people like this. Because someone who has just gone through the trauma of heart surgery, just received an organ, they might not want some stranger coming into their life making demands on them. And you might say, well, what demands are they going to make? Well, they're going to demand a thank you. They're going to demand gratitude and appreciation. But you in that state might not be feeling that. I find it personally very difficult to show appreciation even when I'm perfectly healthy. I can tell you if I've just come out of surgery and some psycho comes in and says, you have my son's heart, you have to say thank you to me, you owe me I'm not going to respond to that very well. And it's not like she's going to get the heart back. But it's because I think the real problem is you now you have a stranger who feels a sense of ownership over a part of your body. And they probably don't realize 
that they are, there is the possibility of them annoying someone who has just suffered a significant trauma, someone who's just trying to get their life back together. And maybe, just maybe the recipient of the organ doesn't want some weird self-centered psycho in their life. Now that could be a harsh assessment, but this woman has gone publicly on the internet and made not necessarily demands, but what felt to me like very strong statements of ownership over the organ that this other person now possesses. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not her son's heart anymore. It's this new person's heart, and it has nothing to do with her. And posting it publicly on the internet is what makes me think she's selfish, because she's trying to get other people involved so that she can get what she wants. And that to me is sort of the... Facebook solution to most problems. So personally, I hope this woman never finds the recipient. I think it would be acceptable if the recipient wanted to seek out the donor's family and say thank you to them. That would be appropriate. But when you have someone who feels like they now deserve something because you have survived, that puts you in a really weird position of, I don't think this is a good place to be anymore. And not only that, if you want to get really, really specific, she's probably breaking a bunch of rules. I don't know if these would be laws, but she's probably breaking a bunch of rules by trying to seek this person out in the first place. So that already gives you a sense of her state of mind and state of being where she thinks she's above the rules that everyone else has to follow. And that personally is absolutely not the kind of person I want in my life. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. Because they're melting the rock or the metal. Fuck, I keep saying rock.